Welcome back to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura Podcast. ESK, your friendly neighborhood, Spencer Man, here on Monday, August 15th. And what I want to talk about today is actually expanding out, blowing out something that Sean Sheehan and I talked about on the latest edition of the State of the UFC podcast that we do kind of regularly over on the Severe MMA Patreon page. Please do go subscribe to that. The boys put out a lot of a lot of great work every week, and I think you should definitely check it out. But what I want to get into, the thing that we talked about, and it pertained mostly really to both the bantamweight division and the women's flyweight divisions, where the divisions are at a point and they have been constructed or developed in time to the point where all the different tiers, there are there are really a bunch of different tiers that we can look at in the division, a bunch of sort of levels to the division where everything sort of fits, everything sort of flows. You have the champion and current crop of contenders. You have kind of the next group behind them that is usually some ascending names and some veteran names that have already been in the championship mix or maybe fallen out or maybe just haven't quite gotten there as of yet. Um, looking at bantamweight, it's a guy like, you think of a guy like Rob Font, right, who has been a stalwart in the division but hasn't cleared that last hurdle as we saw in fights with Jose Aldo and Marlon Vera very recently. Then below that, there are the ascending prospects that are in that position to start fighting some of the top five, top 10 competitors in the division. You then also have, you know, veterans that have been there and through on down you go and, and be outside of the top 15 into that second 15. You have the veterans and stalwarts and steady names and the ecosystem fighters that I talk about all the time on this podcast and other places that keep divisions going. Those tests that the up-and-coming fighters need to face that, you know, veterans looking to rebound need to face, things of that nature. And the reason I wanted to talk about it and, and bring it sort of here for more people to hear or for a different group to hear if you're not listening to the Severe MMA podcast, which you should be because it's terrific, is that Bantamweight is, is starting and, and started over the weekend with Marlon Vera defeating Dominic Cruz sort of a a de facto Grand Prix over the next few months where there's a bunch of the top five, top 10, top 12, 15 fighters in the division all going to compete. And we're going to get an understanding and an idea of how everybody lines up in terms of the championship picture for the next maybe one or two fights. We're going to have a good understanding of kind of, or at least a, a picture and some ideas of how to book things going forward, right? We have Aljamain Sterling is defending the title against TJ Dillashaw. Piotr Jan, the former champ, is fighting Sean O'Malley. Jose Aldo is fighting Marab Dwalishvili this weekend at UFC 278. Corey Sanhagen is going to face Song Yedong in September. Marlon Vera, as I mentioned, defeated Dominic Cruz over the weekend. Then there's Font, then there's Pedro Munoz, and so on and so forth down the line. And I think by the time October is done, by the time UFC 280 is in the books, we're going to have a very good idea, a very good sense of here's who's at the top of the division, here's who's next in line, here's the fight to make beyond, beyond that to determine the next contender, and so on and so forth. And I feel that it's 
it's the same at women's flyweight right now, right? You have Valentina Shevchenko, who is coming off her win earlier this summer against Tyla Santos. You have Caitlin Chukagian, who is fighting Manon Fierro at UFC Paris next month in a very pivotal fight. As Sean and I discussed on, on the state of the UFC, if Fierro wins that fight, she is undeniably next in line because Caitlin Chukagian is, is tough to get through. Not many people have. If you do, you essentially establish yourself as a title challenger. You have Lauren Murphy in there. You have Alexa Grasso and Viviano Ujo were supposed to fight in San Diego. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But they're that next fight back, right? The winner of that is likely in the championship mix and so on and so forth. I've talked at great deal about the young competitors that are working their way up. The Macy Barbers, the Casey O'Neills, the Aaron Blanchfield, who has a fight coming up against Molly McCann. And you see in, in both each of those divisions, you can get a very good picture of what the next at least 12 months could look like. You can map things out a little better because the champions are active, because the ranked fighters are active and there's less of a I'm not fighting back in the division sort of mindset. It's more of a I want to keep active and I want to get out there and compete. I think we're seeing it a little bit at welterweight with a guy like Bilal Muhammad agreeing to fight backwards and face Sean Brady, as I said on on the Severe Show. Shouts to Bilal for taking that fight. It's a nightmare. It's, it's a difficult matchup. But it's the thing he needed to do in order to not be on the sidelines for too long and to really affirm his place in that pecking order. Almost maybe, especially now that Jeff Neal has come along, and finished Vicente Luque, right? Beat the guy, finished the guy that Bilal just beat, and holds a win over Bilal already. Now, granted, it was years ago. Both fighters have changed. Bilal has improved a great deal since then. But still, it's there on the record, right? It's it's there as a, as a measurable, as a thing to discuss. And the reason I wanted to bring those two divisions and sort of that idea, that construction up here today is because to me, it is undeniably the right way or the best way to book these division. And it's what we need as fans. I think it's what the fighters need as competitors, as athletes that want to move forward and chase these goals and chase these dreams. And I really do think it's what the UFC needs as a promotion, as a company that is constantly moving forward in order to be able to just keep things going. So what really spurred it on, or sort of the the opposite side of the coin, if you will, is what we have happening at really featherweight right now, is, is probably the number one offender. Where over the last bunch of years, it's been a series of rematches, and at the top of the, the division, it has been everyone having to go through Max Holloway which then sets up another rematch for Max Holloway. Now listen, I loved those fights. I loved every bit of seeing Max Holloway fight Yair Rodriguez, of seeing the Max Holloway-Calvin Cater fight, and then the third fight with Volkanovski where Volk looked terrific. And really, finally, to, to the last group of people that didn't want to accept that he was the best fighter in this division, proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is the best fighter in this division right now. 
But it also, as Sean said on the state of the UFC, has meant that fighters like, to this point, Josh Emmett and Calvin Cater haven't gotten their opportunity to fight for championship gold because they've always had to go through the next guy. Now, in this case, it was one another a couple of months ago in a very close fight, an entertaining fight. Josh Emmett gets a win that a lot of people, myself included, feel should have went the other way, but it is what it is. But he's at a point now where, you know, he still may not be the next guy in line for the championship opportunity. That might be Yair Rodriguez, who got that win over Brian Ortega. And that just feels like not to take anything away from Yair, but having a guy that lost to Max that then wins one fight and it's by injury, go on to fight for the title, feels like it denies guys like Emmett or like Cater that opportunity to move forward. And then beyond them, behind them, it slows everything down for that next wave of competitors. And at the front of that list is Arnold Allen, who is 9-0 in the UFC. And now people will say he's still got lots of time because he's only 27 or 28 years old. So what's the rush? And my answer to that is that nothing is guaranteed. Right? Arnold Allen, knock on wood, could get hurt. Something could happen. He could also end up having to go out and fight somebody else, fight a Calvin Cater, fight a Josh Emmett. Sean suggested on that show, it's going to be Max Holloway. And he could have to go through that, that test. And if he doesn't pass it, then he doesn't get a championship opportunity. And with a nine fight winning streak in the UFC and 11 consecutive victories overall, and coming off a tremendous performance against Dan Hooker in London, he shouldn't have to continue waiting to go through just the next man in front of him and the next one up because we're just booking the same three or four people at the top of these divisions, either against each other or into championship fights. Featherweight isn't the only division where we've seen it happening. This weekend, we have UFC 278 in Salt Lake City, Utah. Kamaru Usman defending the welterweight title in the main event against Leon Edwards in a fight that is long overdue and hopefully, again, Knockwood starts this division moving forward. Now, if you look at welterweight, the blueprint is there, right? The, the rough schematic is there for being able to get this division to the point that bantamweight is at and to the point that the women's flyweight division is at because you have Usman defending against Leon Edwards who currently as I have it up in front of me is ranked number two in the division he's fought Colby Covington a couple of times beaten him a couple of times so Colby's not necessarily in that championship picture number three is Hamzat Chemaev who fights Nathan Diaz in the main event of UFC 279 you would think fairly so that if Chemaev goes out and earns a decisive victory over Nathan Diaz, and Usman retains his title this weekend, that's probably the next championship fight. Now, if Leon Edwards wins on Saturday, and we have to do a rematch, and, and to my opinion, and I think most people, Kamaru Usman would be entitled to a rematch if he were to lose, regardless of how that happens, almost regardless of how that happens, if Edwards goes out and sparks him, in the first minute, maybe not. Maybe you maybe you just move on to something else and, and you get Usman to win one back. 
but generally speaking, if this if this plays out the way that I think it would have to play out for Leon Edwards to win the title, then Usman would likely deserve a rematch, and we'd do that, and we'd have a little pause still in the division. But but going with let's go with the betting odds, right? Let's go with the odds. Let's go with the favorite. That Usman retains his title, gets his 16th consecutive win in the UFC to equal Anderson Silva's mark, his sixth successful championship defense. That sets him up with Chemaev. But then behind that, we have some of those matchup possibilities, right? Bilal Muhammad is fighting Sean Brady, as I mentioned earlier. The winner of that can very much be next in line. As of right now, looking at the rankings, that's number five versus number seven. And the winner of that should be capable of fighting for championship gold. They shouldn't have to go out and face anyone else. If Sean Brady continues this unbeaten run of his, this unbeaten ascent by beating Bilal Muhammad, who's on a great winning streak of his own, he doesn't need to do any more. There doesn't need to be a, okay, now go beat Gilbert Burns or beat Colby Covington when he comes back. Nah, man, give him the title shot. Same for Bilal. If he stops that kid's run and he does the thing that, you know, is is the reason he takes this fight, which is stop that kid's run and show, look, I am I am here. I am all the way about this. Then give him the shot. Beyond them, we have Jeff Neal coming off that win over Vicente Luque. There's a few people in this division that he hasn't fought that he can fight that would put him kind of in that close proximity to being next. We have guys like Shavkat Rachmanov. We have Michel Pajera. We have a bunch of young, talented fighters either in that lower third of the top 15 or the second 15. Guys like Jake Matthews that have that are coming off good wins that have the potential and have the room to move forward and are fresh names that can get entered into some of these matchups with the stalwarts with the guys, and maybe Jorge Masvidal doesn't want to fight, you know, a, a Rachmanov. I wouldn't blame him. I understand that. But you still have people like Michael Chiesa, like Neil Magny, like Li Jingliang, like Santiago Ponzinibbio, who was, it was always sort of in this hovering position that we're talking about, that you can start building these divisions out and set things up for six months down the line, for nine months down the line, for 12, for 18 months down the line, so that we have a picture and we have an understanding of the steps these athletes need to take and a little bit clearer picture and understanding of the tiers of these divisions so that we know what each of these victories means and the weight it carries and how it moves them forward. It, to me, is the way that that I would love to see every division booked, every division structured, every division sort of coordinated. Now, things are going to happen because things are going to happen, right? We saw that. I always go back to um, Conor McGregor when he was moving up to, to lightweight. He was supposed to fight Rafael Dos Anjos. That fight is booked. It's ready to go. It's UFC 196 and RDA breaks his foot. Things happen. Stuff comes up. And Connor goes on and fights Nathan Diaz. That becomes a thing. RDA gets healthy. He returns. He fights Eddie Alvarez. The division 
the the division keeps moving forward and then Connor comes back in November and wins the title from Eddie in, in New York City and all like that. And he didn't get moving forward. But like even then, when the things happened that invariably happen in this sport, because it's a sport filled with variables and and you know, banana peels for people to slip on and cables for people to trip over, shouts Tony Ferguson. That if you have kind of a greater understanding or a longer term picture of what things are going to look like, of where you can possibly go with this or, or the different directions you can take, then not only do you as a promotion have a better idea, but we as fans and we as consumers and we that, you know, cover the sport have a better sense of what each of these victories mean, of where where individual athletes can go next to take that step forward. And you look at some something like the lightweight division, right? There's no clear picture. And part of that is that Charles Oliveira has already beaten three of the four people stationed behind him in the rankings in Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, and Michael Chandler. He is fighting the fourth Islam Hashev at UFC 280. And then that next group of athletes, Benil Dariush, Hafael Faziv, Matoish Gamrot, Armin Saryukin, beyond them, Jalen Turner, Demirish Magulov, are right now a little bit stifled because the fighters ahead of them don't necessarily want to take those fights. I said it on the State of the UFC with Sean. I'll repeat it again here. When I spoke with, with Rafael Fazib before his fight with RDA, I asked him, you know, what's what's next? You beat a former champion. It cements you in the top 10, gives you, a you know, extends the winning streak. What comes next? And he said, listen, brother, like none of these guys ahead of me are going to want to fight me because I'm dangerous. It's it's low, re- low return for them, right? It's high risk very low reward for them because they can say, well, what has he done? The best win he has is RDA and RDA is old and these things. So whenever I ask, whoever I ask for, they're going to not want to fight. They're going to be sick. They're going to be injured. They're going to have a pain in their butt, something that they're not going to fight me. And now we've seen Benil Dariush accept the fight with Matoish Gamrot, which is a phenomenal fight. But again, the winner of that one needs to fight for the title. There doesn't need to be a clear the Justin Gaethje hurdle or the Michael Chandler hurdle or the Dustin Poirier hurdle. Those three guys, to me, should either be moved out of the title picture or just sort of told, put in a position where they need to do more than just win one against somebody else out of that triumvirate in order to get into a championship opportunity. We need to get these people that are on the on the ascent, that are up and coming, that are fresh, that are, you know, in their primes and ready and, and deserving of these opportunities, the chance to fight for gold. Because if not, you end up having what we have at Featherweight right now, where, where a Calvin Cater constantly gets stopped at that last hurdle, constantly gets held up at that last hurdle. And maybe not ever get a chance to fight for championship gold, which would actually be really unfortunate because he's done enough outside of not beating Max Max Holloway to merit a championship opportunity. Not beating Max Holloway shouldn't be a thing 
that limits you. And clearly it's not because the UFC was ready to give Yair Rodriguez the next championship opportunity if he beat Brian Ortega. And he still might get that despite the fact that it ended with a shoulder injury and not a really conclusive, definitive performance. And I'm not usually a guy that does the like, hey, there was nothing inconclusive. There was This was inconclusive, right? I wrote last summer when the second or the third Dustin Poirier-Conor McGregor fight ended with McGregor breaking his ankle, breaking his leg, whatever it ended up being. And so there was nothing inconclusive. There was nothing that wasn't definitive about Dustin Poirier's performance. But to me, that one was different than this. That we had a clear understanding that Dustin was ahead. Dustin was... Dustin was dictating the terms and he was clearly winning that fight to the point where it ended. I don't think you could say either way who was winning the Yair Rodriguez-Brian Ortega fight at the point that the shoulder popped out and we had to we had to stop, right? So to me, that one's sort of still up in the air. I would love to see them run it back, but also I'd love to see them just move forward because I don't want to keep seeing the same names over and over again. Now, it's different in divisions where champions have already beaten everybody that's at the top of the board a couple of times or once or whatever, right? You look at middleweight. Israel Adesanya has already beaten Robert Whitaker twice. He's beaten Jared Cannonier, Marvin Vittori, Derek Brunson before he was a championship contender or before he was the champion. Paulo Costa, he's facing Alex Pejea in a couple of months. He's number five, and so we don't really need to go all the way down. But we also need to make sure that there are people that are coming up that that it shouldn't have to be. You have to beat two or three of these people still in order to get there to earn an opportunity to face Israel Adesanya, right? Andre Muniz's last win, it, it wasn't particularly exciting, the victory over Uriah Hall. And shouts to Uriah on a great career. He announced his retirement last week. Great dude, very happy to get to form a relationship with him over the years. I wish him all the best going forward. But Andre Muniz, his next fight should be against Sean Strickland, Marvin Vittori, Jared Cannonier, someone in that mix. And I know that Whitaker and, and Vittori are fighting in Paris, and so maybe, it, maybe it's the winner of that one. Jack Hermanson was just booked against Derek Brunson, maybe it's the winner of that one, but it should be someone that if he wins that fight, dominant or not, he's in position to fight for a title because he shouldn't have to keep going and add a seventh and an eighth consecutive win before we get to a championship opportunity, especially in a division where the champion has already beaten everybody a bunch of times, right? That's what made Tyler Santos getting that opportunity against Valentina Shevchenko, absolutely the right move. And it, it turned out, and this isn't me playing the result of Tyler Santos having a, a good performance and exceeding expectations and, and sort of putting herself on the map with that effort. I thought after that, that final victory of hers against Joanne Wood, that was it. She's the next in line. She is the, the highest ranked fighter that hasn't faced Valentina Shevchenko yet. So it is her opportunity. And I think we need to start getting back to that. I think the UFC needs to start getting back to that because it just keeps things moving forward. It means you don't have to get to 
number three or number two or number one in the division in order to get that opportunity. Because getting to that point is insanely difficult. We see that all the time. It's not like the number one contender or the number one ranked fighter in the division changes very often. Sticking at middleweight, Robert Whitaker is entrenched as that silver medalist. He fights Marvin Vittori, who is number three in a few weeks in Paris. He's probably going to beat Marvin Vittori. Then what do we do? Right? Then what do we do? To me, rather than having those two gentlemen face each other, I would keep them separate to face this next wave. To face the guys like Andre Muniz. To face a Nasruddin Imavov or a Drikas Duplessis. These fighters that haven't had the opportunity to face top 10 opponents yet or top 5 opponents yet. Rather than having the same fighters that Israel Adesanya has already beaten twice in, in the case of Whitaker and Vittori. Each of them twice now. Fighting each other to not really move anywhere. Like, even if Vittori wins that fight, what does it do other than give him a win over Robert Whitaker? We don't need to see him face Izzy again. We've seen it twice. It's looked the same both times. We're going to have to move on. And so, in every division, I think it is, is so important to structure these things and book these things to where we're creating fresh names to where we're moving things forward and we can have a broader scale picture of the divisional landscape as opposed to these are the people that are one through three in the rankings and that's kind of all we're thinking about as championship contenders because we just keep booking them against each other. Right, you talk about the women's strawweight division. Carlos Sparza climbs to the top of the division with a win over Rosalma Yunus, becomes the second two-time champion in the division. The expectation or the idea is that she's going to face Zhang Weili, which, given the strength of Zhang Weili's performance against Joanna Janjacek in their second fight, I certainly understand. However, Zhang Weili also fought for the title or defended the title once last year, lost the belt, fought for it again, didn't win it back, then won the fight against Yin Jacek earlier this year, and now we're putting her back into a championship fight. And yet, there's Marina Rodriguez, who's sitting there on a four-fight winning streak. Two of them are stoppages. Two of them are main events. She has a bit of a history with Carla Esparza, having already fought her and fought her tooth and nail to a split decision that if you go back and watch it now, with the last six months of very prevalent conversation about judging and damage and top position and control time and all of those things, you may score it differently, sitting waiting in the wings, and yet instead of getting that opportunity, she has to face number eight Amanda Lemos. After having already this year added a win over number five, Yan Zhaonan, who is facing number four, Mackenzie Dern, who's probably going to get an opportunity. And like, I'm happy that that Mackenzie Dern may get the opportunity because that fits with what I'm saying, right? Bring new people forward. 
but do it to where we're not skipping anybody as well. Like, get out of some of these rematches. Get out of some of these, the champions have to stay very much no more than all, all the former champion has to do is win one to get another opportunity. I understood when that was the case years ago when divisions were thinner and the names at the top weren't as established and the talent wasn't as deep. But we're way past that now, right? Like we're way past the days of just win one because we don't really have anybody else. You look at strawweight, the rankings as of right now, so as of Monday, August 15th at 12.40 p.m. Pacific time, are Rose Namajunas, Zhang Weili, Marina Rodriguez, Mackenzie Dern, Yan Zhao Zhao Nan, Jessica Andrade, who, by the way, is back in the division, remember, remember, Tisha Torres, Amanda Lemos, Nina Nunes, she'll come out because she retired, all the best to Nina as well, Amanda Hibas, Michelle Watterson Gomez, Verna Jandiroba, Angela Hill, Emily Ducote, and Luana Pinheiro. We need to get moving all of these people forward, right? There's a bunch of people we need to get moving forward. We don't need Marina Rodriguez fighting backwards and Amanda Lemos having to go through this grind as well, right? She started her year with Jessica Andrade. She catches a loss there, fine. It's a former champion. Andrade is a little powerhouse dynamo. No shame in losing to her. She gets booked against Michelle Watterson Gomez, goes out, beats her. Away we go. And now she's in with another killer. So she could go one and two to start this year, or or maybe even it'll be the, the whole of her year. And she stays outside of the top five. She doesn't get closer to, she ends up getting kind of that Calvin Cater treatment, right? Where it's get a win and then face this ultra, ultra dangerous, ultra experienced tough out that maybe you're not going to beat so that you just don't ever progress forward, but we're going to give Zhang Weili another chance. And Rose Namajunas, should she stick around the division, will probably need to win one and then get another opportunity. And I just hope, I just wish, that we could get to a point where instead of just booking, you know, the people that are right next to each other or pretty close or having to put, you know, one person has to go through the gauntlet of the division and another person because they have championship ties or because they have a bigger name doesn't have to do that. Let's just get to a point where we're at with with bantamweight and with the women's flyweight division and the potential we have at welterweight where we can set up these divisions to where everybody understands what's coming next. And now, again, as I said earlier, Things are going to happen. There's invariably going to be injuries and contract disputes and people holding out and people saying, nah, I'm not fighting backwards. I'm I'm waiting for my opportunity. We all understand that. But at a certain point in time, you have to move forward. Things have to get going and be fresh and be new and be progressing So that you don't end up with these log jams and these stale situations where, like at heavyweight, the top of the division is is locked. Like nothing's happening. Now granted, Francis Ngannou was hurt or on his way back from being hurt after having surgery earlier this year. John Jones is the boogeyman that hasn't fought in two plus years but wants to fight at heavyweight. 
It's had some contract disputes. It's had, you know, just, just not competing as of right now. Stipe Miocic, the former champion, lost the belt last year. Wants the opportunity to, to get it back. Wants a third fight. I had to do three with DC. Why doesn't Francis Ngannou have to do three with me? It's a valid argument. But it all just means that we're stuck here in stasis. And yes, we have Cyril Gan and, and Tai Tuivasa headlining in Paris. And we had Curtis Blades and Tom Aspinall headlining the second London show. And Curtis Blades is kind of stuck where he is now at number three or number four in the division, currently four, but you get what I'm saying. But he's already faced Francis Ngannou twice. And, you know, this this wasn't Volkanovski Holloway where they were close and you could maybe make a case for let's get the guy that's 0-2 a third shot. They were, they were one-sided and we don't right this minute need to see the guy that's 0-2 get a third shot. And so putting, that was the risk of, of the Tom Aspinall fight. And again, Injury, so it's not the same as Curtis Blades going out there and beating Tom Aspinall definitively, decisively with his skills, with his weapons, which is absolutely a possibility. Curtis Blades, super talented guy. But we need to get all of these divisions as best as we can to a point where there is that structure, where there is that understanding, where we have... Some fighters moving up, some fighters moving down, some fighters holding holding firm, holding place. A new wave of talent that's that's working their way forward, a new generation of talent that's working their way forward, and a generation that's getting towards the end but is still competitive. So that we can have that balance and we can have that, you know, over the course of a year, things play out to where the division turns over organically based on results as opposed to based on rankings or just booking decisions. This is, to me, when the UFC is the most exciting. Like Part of the reason the bantamweight for me has been at the top of my list now for a couple of years is because you could see this coming. You could see it getting to where it is now a couple of years ago when Henry Cejudo was at the top of the division, but there was that wave of fighters that were coming up, right? Corey Sandhagen wasn't quite there yet. Piotr Jan wasn't quite there yet. We knew TJ Dillashaw was coming back. Jose Aldo came down and was interesting. Rob Font was still ascending. We had Song Yedong and Sean O'Malley that were the young prospects that were working their way up at the time. And now both of them have ascended into the top 15 to become very interesting players. And a guy like Marab Dwalishvili goes on a run and asserts himself into, inserts himself into the conversation, but we still have veterans like Dominic Cruz and Pedro Munoz sticking around. And we have the next group of young fighters ascending, like Umar Nurmagomedov and Adrian Yanez and Saeed Nurmagomedov. And so you could see it a few years out that this is where we're going to go. And if we if we structure everything and build everything the right way, knock on wood, get, get some good breaks, get some good results, we can be in a position where we have literally all the things that you want in order to have a thriving, robust division. And now, not every division is going to be as full of talent 
as bantamweight. I understand that. Light heavyweight can't necessarily be this. But you can still get an approximation of it. You can still get some kind of close facsimile to this in terms of having a few people that are moving forward and setting up number one contender bouts or or close to it, right? You don't have to define them as such, but they have to be the kind of fights where you can see it and go, the winner of that should go forward and it shouldn't be yet another hurdle that they have to clear after that. It should just be, you win this fight, both of us are in the top 10, I'm off to fight for the championship. Not, I'm going to fight the person that's two spots in front of me and still have two or three more to go before I get this shot. I think most people will agree that the bantamweight is, is the most interesting, the most entertaining, the most compelling division right now. And it's because of the structure of it. It's because of the foundation that's been built and the way things have played out and, and you know, come together over these last 12 to 18 months to where we have this, this ecosystem that is thriving the way that it is, that is, is living the way that it is. We're going to get to the end of October and have multiple options. We're going to have, you know, either TJ Dillashaw at the top of the division or Aljamain Sterling at the top of the division still. And then we're going to have a choice between, you know, the winner of Piotr Jan and Sean O'Malley, the winner of Corey Sanhagen and Song Yudong, or Josie Aldo and Marab Dvalishvili. We've got Marlon Vera sitting there, hanging out right now, the clubhouse leader, feet up, having a drink smoking a cigar, relaxing, waiting to see what happens. That makes things exciting. That puts weight on everything else. It puts weight on the fights that are happening behind that. It makes you wonder. It gets you thinking about who Umar Namagomedov is going to be booked in with, who Ricky Simone is going to be booked in with next after he handed Jack Shore his first loss and who Jack Shore is going to face now that he's coming off his first professional loss, looking to reset and regroup and get going forward once more. This is what you hope for or what you should hope for in every division, not just the champion facing the next super popular, super famous, super established name in the rankings. Because as much as I understand that as a, as a play, as a direction, as a thing that looks the best maybe on on the marquee and on the poster. It doesn't do anything for the division. And at the end of the day, keeping these divisions fresh and lively and thriving should be the should be the goal, should be the number one aim. And I know that there's there's multiple other concerns. There are multiple other questions and and pieces to be factored in here because this is a business and this is sport and entertainment and so i i get all of that but is this weekend's pay-per-view headlined by kamaro usman and leon edwards going to really be 
that much different, that much less interesting, that much less viewed than the second fight between Usman and Jorge Masvidal, than the second fight between Usman and Colby Covington, when neither of those guys really did much of anything to convince us that anything different was going to happen when they stepped into the cage with the champ for a second time. To me, I would much rather see this fight on Saturday because I know who's coming next. Because I want to get to the next one without telling Leon Edwards that he's got to sit and wait again. That he's got to do more still. Because he's a guy that that for two years now shouldn't have had to do more still. He shouldn't have been put into that potential Hamzat Chemaev situation that never materialized. He shouldn't have had to go through Bilal Muhammad and then Nathan Diaz in order to get here. He had done enough already. When you go and win eight consecutive fights in the, in the welterweight division and it's capped by Donald Cerrone, Gunnar Nelson, and Rafael Dos Anjos, that's enough for me. That should be enough for anybody to earn you that opportunity, especially when you got a history with the dude that's on top of the division. So let's just keep these things going forward. Let's get it all sorted out and, and mapped out to a point where we can see 12 months down the, down the road what this might look like, where all of those different flow charts lead. And as I've said many times in the past, and will say many times in the future, if it's a situation that the USC needs somebody to get the crazy person whiteboard going and get the crazy person like suspect chart going on the wall with all the red strings and all the all the lines and all the possibilities, I'm your Huckleberry. As long as I can stay here in the new digs to do it. That's it for the podcast. We will be back on Wednesday with one question. Thursday with 10 things. We'll be back tomorrow with, with Fighter on the Rise. Of course, the winning streak continues. Shouts to Martin Budai for keeping it going. It wasn't pretty, but it's still going. Uh, yeah, Wednesday, video and audio of one thing. Audio here, video on the YouTube. Thursday, 10 things I like about UFC 278. Friday, punch drunk predictions and betting plays. We made 7.39 units on Saturday of profit. So shout out to Tyson Nam for the first round knockout win. That made it a good day very early in the night. Severe MMA preview show will tape on Wednesday, go live on Thursday. Check that out on their YouTube page. Follow for all of the UFC 278 content from .com. On Twitter, at Spencer Kite. Hit me with all your thoughts, comments, concerns, questions, ideas, anything. I love hearing from you guys. I appreciate all of the support. Thank you for listening. Have a fantastic week. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. Check on your loved ones. Know that you're loved. And as always, be good to one another. We'll talk to you next week.